spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label. hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house on a tuesday evening i've got a busy week this week and it is a busy week because i'm out podcasting tomorrow night as well and on thursday night is my night i co-run in cholton speak easy so and i've got a podcast tonight with a wonderful lady currently live in york so this is a busy week but it's a great great to be busy now i've got a wonderful lady with me today called Catherine lunn now she is the author and it may not come up very well as it has done there of this wonderful book the Things We Left Sleeping, which I actually reviewed with Amanda, my wife, on Reading in Bed a couple of months ago. And at the time, I forget where we're, which way around this is going to be. I can't remember if I agreed with Catherine I'd reviewed a book and then bring on Spoken Label, or I just told her I'd bring you on both. So, anyway, I forgot myself. <laughs> anyway, Catherine, we'll forget about that a bit. Um, obviously, tell us a bit about yourself, first of all. So, obviously, I said, I know you currently live in York, but you weren't originally from York, were you? I wasn't, no. So thank you so much for having me. And you did, in fact, agree to have me on both. You were that excited about meeting me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I do live in York, but I'm originally from Lancashire. I was born in Burnley, of all places. And then went to university in the South for quite a while, which is where, according to all my friends, I, I lost my accent. So I think I still find sound reasonably Northern, reasonably Lancastrian. And then after completing my MA in creative writing, I wanted to move back up to the North. And York is just such a beautiful, diverse, fun city, but... A small city, you can get around it in an hour or so, so I can't get too lost. That was very important in considering where I was going to live. Um, because I do have a neurofunctional disorder, so I quite often get lost. I quite often get disorientated. So I find York a, a nice size, friendly city and love being back in the north. feel very happy to be back up in this part of the country. Brilliant, brilliant. So I apologise to anybody who wants to know the colouring. The colouring's going a bit mad on the computer, so I was trying to <laughs> arrange it, rearrange it all as we go along. This. I, I, it's not like I was trying to do Catherine's head enough. I want to say that straight away. So <laughs> now, gosh, I was just not. So anyway, Catherine, obviously, where did all your writing come from originally then? 
I, I've always loved writing. I come from a house that had lots of books in it growing up. So we read a lot. We read aloud a lot. My granddad would read aloud to us on Sundays. My mum used to read aloud to us. And any book, really, she read us a lot of murder mysteries when we were young. I found them terrifying and exciting, a lot of Alan Gardner. So a very literate household, a very scientific-based household. My mum was a teacher. My dad was um, a design engineer. So there was always lots of writing, lots of creativity, lots of music. And my mum was a brilliant artist. My dad's a brilliant drawer. I can't draw. The creativity I got seems to be that I can write. But it's not something that I really pursued after college. When I went away to university, I did archaeology. I just took a completely different path. I did something that was, you know, fun and, and outdoors and practical and different. And I got back into writing probably around about the same time I got ill when I started developing my neurofunctional disorder because I found it was something that even when I lost everything else even when I got very ill even when I was really struggling I could still write fiction it was a a really positive outlet for me so people talk about the power of notebooking they talk about the power of writing and of art and of creativity with helping with illness with helping with neurological disorders and that was an absolute truth for me so my writing it sort of always been there but I sort of re-embraced it when I became ill because I found it to be such a, a true and vital part of me and I've kept it in my life ever since. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, obviously, people will review your website, obviously, you'll spot there is two books there, actually, in the moment. Now, I've not read your short story collection, The Things We Keep in the Cupboard. So tell us about that one, first of all, obviously, because as I said, I can't ask you a lot about that because I've not read it. But <laughs> I, I do get the feeling, obviously, it does touch on a lot of the same, in a different way, the themes that obviously come in your novel, I presume. It, it absolutely does, because I find that when I write, I want to write about the world as I'm experiencing it. And I want to almost purge experiences from myself writing for me is very much an act of taking what's inside the head and recreating it outside so that other people can actually access it because I don't know if any you know your listeners out there are listening and they they have mental illness you know they have anxiety and depression like I've had but it can be very difficult to translate what's in your head to outside of the head so that's what that collection of short stories is all about so there's there's either four or five different stories in there and they all explore different things that I've gone through and experienced. So the things we keep in the cupboard, for example, is all about somebody who's writing basically what seems like a, um, sorry, I get mind absences and I'm trying to think, a woolen testament, there we are. So they've written a woolen testament, which is a list of things like a a red sweater and 3.22 in the afternoon on Tuesday. It's, It's this list of things that they've left behind and they're waiting for them to be collected. And what it is that comes from my experience of when I attempted an overdose it's somebody writing a note of all the very very important things that sort of pin memories in their life that come back to them in these moments of, of very deep distress and very deep anxiety so it's it's my way of exploring some of the really quite serious mental health problems that I've had without writing a straight story where it's just somebody you know doing something dangerous to themselves so yeah, it's of I, I never want to write, you know, a straight and linear narrative. I want to find that way that makes the experience of what it's like come on come onto the paper. So that's that's what I try and do with 
with those short stories so you know have lots of problems with identity when you get a neurological disorder you really feel like you lose yourself so in one of those somebody's um somebody's mind and somebody's soul is being transplanted into another body and they meet that previous body's lover and the lover can't tell the difference between the old body and the new body so it's it's they sound quite strange but mental illness is strange and the feeling of mental illness can be strange and and for me that was you know my way of manifesting those experiences yeah not sure i could see that with it what you're saying there like it was a me remember smiling you're going on about you like writing stories that are non-linear now if people read a novel which i'll come on to in a minute <laughs> it's most definitely not a non-linear novel now but i'm just curious and it what i found interesting was why did you call both your two books to date then by starting off with the things we keep in the cupboard and things we left sleeping was that a conscious decision um it it wasn't it well i have ocd so i like rhythmic sounding things so like the oh. things we keep in the cupboard um the things we left sleeping it's, it's a sentence that i like the feel of and when i'm writing the fear the rhythmic feel of the sentence is, is hugely important to me just as important to, you know as if you were writing poetry it has to feel right and i spend a lot of time struggling with my ocd because it won't let me move on until a sentence is just rhythmically perfect I I like the feeling of that sentence but the things with our sleeping and the things we keep in the cupboard it is referencing the same things so when when we are ill and when we suffer you know a a deep life-changing illness or a grief we do leave parts of ourselves somewhere safe in the hope that we can come back to them we leave relationships we leave and we leave our ambitions we leave you know, huge parts of our personalities behind because we don't have the strength and we don't have the energy to focus on that. And some of those things we can never pick up again. We we lose them. The person that we become can't carry those things anymore. They can't be that person. And, you know, I spent a lot of time learning to be okay with that. And some of those things we absolutely refuse to leave behind and we have to take them with us else, you know, we're, we're not ourselves. So the things we keep in the cupboard, as I say, in the short story, it's this list of, of hugely important things that this person wants to leave for the person that she thinks she's going to become. Actually, she almost sees suicide as an, as an act of transformation. And these five or six hugely important things in her life are going to be there for her, she thinks, because those are the fundamental things of herself. And my novel, The Things We Left Sleeping, is, is very much in the same vein. That, you know, this character, my main character, Evie, she's experiencing mental ill health she's experiencing seizures and she has just lost everything about herself but it is just sleeping and she can wake it up if she tries and she can wake it up if she journeys but she has to decide what things are important to her and what is she going to let go of and what is she going to leave behind and still be herself so I think it is interesting that they have the same title but I think it's it's more than just a subconscious accident it's because that is what I'm, I'm trying to write about and that's what I struggle with in my life as well and that I've, I've hugely struggled with you know over the last 10 12 years since becoming ill yeah I got the feeling that I saw that I was wondering about reading up you as a person like I knew there had to be some sort of links between the two books straight away so right I think we better get on to the novel now anyway so <laughs> now I've said 40 we I have reviewed this months ago on reading it but I found this fascinating novel it was really was one of the most surprising novels I've read in ages, and I loved it. Thank you. Because now what you've done is, and obviously people will read the book, 
obviously, I'm not going to read the blurb because it's, it's not my blurb to read. But obviously, <laughs> the, the book is about two main characters, Evie and Stevie. Now, that's yeah. a, basically share everything. And that, you read that when you read the book. Now, but what's interesting about it is there's two narrations going on in this book. And people will notice on the left-hand side of the book page, it's Evie's story. And then on the right-hand mm-hmm. side, it's Stevie's story. I hope I've got that right. You've got that absolutely <laughs> correct. Because yeah. I know what I'm like. I'm dyspraxic, so I can get mixed <laughs> up. So I'm a, pat, I'm a bugger. Now, but I want to know, obviously, first of all, then, obviously, Catherine, what yeah. made you want to do the book in this way? Because I'm like, I've known a lot yeah. of writers that do two narratives, and they would do one chapter, then the second chapter, changing the pace all along. But you've made it like, even if the paragraph doesn't finish on one page, by obviously the, that person, you're basically wait till you get to the next left page or the right page. Yes, and it, it was a deliberate choice. And I know, I mean, I know on your review that like there, there was some comments about this can be quite disjointing, it can be quite disorientating. But when I approached this book, what I wanted to bring was the experience of what your what you know my, my illness is actually like but also what our heads are like so we don't do things in a linear way we're experiencing our lives one way and this this things that are happening outside of ourselves and life isn't chaptered so you know whilst I'm talking to you here you know my, my family's elsewhere doing something else and it's all happening at the same time and one of the things that's very very difficult when you're ill is relating the world to yourself and, and understanding time and you know, even if you, you know, if you've gone through a period of really deep grief, you can get this you know, feeling that you're happening at one pace and the world outside is happening you know, at another pace. So one of the things that I wanted the book to reflect was that, you know, Evie, who's ill, she isn't being ill somewhere separate. And then we go to, you know, the, the other narrative and that's happening somewhere separate. These things are happening simultaneously. We've got Evie, who's in a world inside her head where it's snowing, where it's struggling, where she's battling in the strange world called the farm and then outside of this in the real world Stevie and Evie's dad you know they're trying to fix her they're at the hospital they're you're dealing with all the paperwork all this is going on and it's going on at the same time so we've got two sets of people battling the same problem but they absolutely can't connect because illness isolates us you know it causes division it causes problems so we've got a left-hand side narrative and a right-hand side narrative which quite often the people in them are dealing with the same problems but they're unable to deal with them together and it it was a deliberate choice but it took me a while to realize that that's how I wanted the book to be laid out because originally I had just written most of Evie's narrative and then my lecturer said to me, well, you know, what's happening in the world outside of her head? And I started you know, thinking, well, what was happening? There would be her family. There would be, you know, Stevie. All, all these things would be happening, which is the other side of illness, which is um, yeah, sort of the outside world part of illness, which is other people having to deal with everything. And it was happening at the same time. So I, I wanted to show it happening at the same time. Yeah, works very well as well. Unable got- to connect worked really well because I think you, you, that's the strength of the book really you took us on that journey through tough, two different worlds at the same time and I got that straight away with the book Thank you. and I particularly like the references to the farm in the book obviously from Evie's side which yeah. obviously was used several times in the book and I got reason why each time but tell us about then what made you how the idea of the farm came into the book for you then on Evie's side 
Yeah, so the farm is in a really interesting concept. And I wanted to give the idea that from my experience of having seizures, from you know, my experience of, of what I've struggled with, I've, I felt like I was in a very different place to everybody else, almost physically. So like I could be with people and just feel like I was in a different room and in a different place. And I wanted to exaggerate that. Obviously, when I was writing the novel, I wanted to actually create a place where Evie was and a place where Evie was stuck. And I wanted to put her into a place that she could explore, that she could move around, that she could inhabit, that she'd almost manifested, you know, from her own memories and from her own thoughts. So as we enter and journey through the book, we come to realise that this farm, you know, it is a physical place as part of her recovery. She starts walking around it. She starts rooting it. And again, that comes from my experience of having to, to rebuild my spatial understanding and having to, you know, reteach myself how to get from my dad's house to the shops and back how to retake buses so I, I wanted us to have this this physical place that she's inhabiting even though she's only inhabiting it in her mind and I I've put it on the farm because I wanted it to be a place that I knew well so it's actually my best friend Hannah's parents farm that they were tenants oh. of when I was at university and it's right. a place a beautiful place uh, just outside of Milton Keynes with a moat and this beautiful ancient farmhouse and a cherry tree in the garden that we used to sit and eat under. And from the first time I went there, her parents were just loving and welcoming and made me feel like part of their home. And, you know, it was inhabited by dogs and cats and animals. And to me, it was just a wonderful, warm and happy and deeply, deeply safe place. And one of the last really happy memories that I have before I got ill and before my mum died was my friend Hannah's wedding there in a big marquee with all my university friends and we were dancing. So it's my way of putting you know, a safe and secure place of mine and, and putting it into the book and just letting my character have it. So I basically gave Evie my safe place and yeah. a happy place. Yeah, And that. That, that's part of what I want to do in the book a lot. Of, so like this, this, we explore... Um, Evie's mum is dead and you know we explore memories of her mum and some of those are my memories because I wanted a place to put some things that I can't hold on to some things that I've left sleeping and they are literally in the book and that's what the yeah. farm is yeah I got that because I, mean, I was um that's what I thought was really strong with this book I felt as much as been a book of fiction I felt there was elements of fact in it that you place into the book and made them fiction if that makes sense and I think it, yeah, it, it, it gives it the depth, give it a really good human touch in the book. And that's why I think it worked really well for me. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely wanted, as I said to me, this almost an act of taking these things that I, I've so struggled to, to describe, to, you know, to tell my neurologist what it is that's wrong, to tell them what it feels like. And this has been the best way that I can to, to express it and, and to bring it out. But you know, I wanted... To, I mean, my, my mum, she died within six weeks of a cancer diagnosis. It was hugely traumatic. It was absolutely awful to live through. But she was yeah. this, you know, this huge, huge part of my life. And I wanted to put her somewhere in the book. And I wanted to put, um, you know, the importance of the parent, the parent relationship into the book and, the, and almost the safeness of my childhood. So there's a scene in the book where Stevie comes to visit Evie and she's having this memory of, you know, Evie and her family all sitting around the piano and playing and the importance of music. And you now that comes directly from my memories of me falling asleep as a child and my mum would be playing music downstairs and the lamps would be on and I would just feel really safe going to sleep. So I, I wanted to put these somewhere safe because I do have such problems with my memory that, you know, it, 
I, I don't always remember things I don't always recall so these ones that I've kept with me they're extremely precious and oh, I no, yeah. almost put them in the book as, 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 as a safe a safe depository it's a depository of of my sleeping things right yeah I got that now that been the case obviously then the character in it, obviously when we're talking about Evie and again with it now I have to ask you this, and it's obviously like with Evie itself, and obviously we talk about Evie's dad who comes into the book, mostly on Stevie's side. It felt like to me, and this before you mentioned this, I felt this this in places your own dad it was. It felt like him in places, even though the memories are made fiction, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think my, my, my dad has been such a steadfast part of my life like it's always been a steadfast part of my life I'm, I've been very very fortunate in the parents that I've had hugely hugely supportive and him and my mum had this absolutely amazing so there's a scene in the book that describes how Evie's parents meet and it's actually based on how my parents meet they have this absolutely wonderful sort of romantic past and they did everything together they, they lived in each other's lives and then within six weeks she was gone and my dad just shouldered it absolutely and he kept going and kept going and then I was ill and he shouldered that and he kept going and he kept going and he kept going and he still keeps going he's had his own cancer scare he's you know he's lived through that and he, and he still keeps going and I think he's absolutely phenomenal and I wanted to put something of his strength in there so even though in the book we see um, Evie's dad struggling and you know my dad doesn't necessarily saw me struggling side, I wanted to show the the hugeness of of what people do shoulder when when they shoulder grief and they shoulder their family and and they keep going so in in the book Davey's struggling and the struggle sort of more played out and you know with with my dad I know that he's struggling and he's kept it more to himself but I remember when I was at my mum's funeral and we're walking out the door and my dad just sort of collapsed his weight onto me and I had to keep on walking and hold him up and it was the first time in my life I've ever had to hold my dad up for anything you know that was the first time I really had to hold him up so I wanted to show you know the strength of people that keep going so to me Dave is someone Dave Evie's father in the book is someone that he's struggling um, and we see a sort of drawn out version of that struggle through the book but he does keep going so just like Evie's journeying towards you know where she can be safe and Stevie's journeying back and forth forwards and onwards to a place where she can be with Stevie and where she you know faces her own family past Davies going forward to a place where he can sort of stand strong again so it's is it comes Davies very unlike my dad in many ways but it definitely comes from the, the love and respect that I I have for my dad and you know everything that he has gone through in these last 10 years. No I get it completely you can see it straight away like Brilliant. It's very, very well told about that. Was definitely with Evie's dad in the book, and I really understood the character. It made me think of my own dad. To that because, like my dad, we'd have lost my dad a couple of years ago for a stroke, and basically at the time he went down, he went down ill. He took my mum out in the process as well because my mum fractured a hip running around after him. Yeah. So and then yeah. we had like we had problems with my brother and all that. that I remember those couple of months. It was a, a difficult couple of months. But yeah, I can see what you were getting at with that book. It really hit me quite hard. Thank you. Now. I've got to ask you as well, because you made some interesting textual choices in this book. <laughs> I think that's a good way, probably the best way of putting it. For example, okay. now, uh, I did like the fact where you didn't put any numbers on the, on the book, whether that was an accident on the page, whether that was an accident or not. But no, that, that was deliberate. That I was, was deliberate. Wondering. And I think it's because, yeah, I wanted to be able to, 
I don't want to dictate how you go through this book because it is, as I said, we've got this left-hand side narrative of Evis, we've got the right-hand side narrative of Stevie and Dave as they, you know, just try and try and sort the impact of this illness and this death on their life. We've got the medical notes that intercept them. We've got Evie's mental health notes. Mm. And really it's a it's a book where you explore it yourself and you make sense of it yourself because that's what Evie is having to do. And it's what Stevie and Dave are having to do. So they're having to make sense of Evie's finances. They're having to make sense of all of these random notes that she leaves to herself. They're having to make sense of her illness and their relationships. And I thought page numbers would be too distracting because you'd feel like you'd have to go page one, page two, page three, page four, and you absolutely don't. So I've had people who've read this by reading all the left-hand side first, then reading all the right-hand side first, then reading all the medical notes. I've had people who've told me that, you know, they read a bit of Evie's side and then they go back and see what Stevie's doing and they sort of pick and choose their own way through. So it, it, it's very deliberate. Look, this, is, this book is meant to be an experience. It's meant to be a way of you navigating your way through and finding your way through, just like the characters have had to and just like me and, and my family have had to, um, you know, as, as we deal with the things that have happened to us. Right, yeah. Now, I know yeah. it's annoying and you do you do need a bookmark, obviously, if you're not going to read it all in one go. So I did. I did. Bookmark. I did straight away with that one. I had to have a bookmark with that straight away. <laughs> now, um, I did actually raise a greater point of this one. And I think in some ways, I like the fact that you experience having it as a paperback. But um, yeah. it was one where, you know, when you put the book together, did you envisage yeah. if people are really going to Kindle, so say, for example, or a PDF? It'd be a no. completely different experience, wouldn't it? It, really? it would, so... and um, I, it, it isn't available in PDF and Kindle oh, form. Right. Apologies to to people that use that format, and that is basically because of my neurological condition. I can't read on screen. I can't screen read. I really struggle. Mm. I really struggle with typing. Um, so I only read in physical form, and this is a book of you know the experience of of my type of illness, of my type of neurofunctional disorder. So the book that I wrote to explain that is a book that can only be read in physical form and I think I would have found it difficult to express it in a kin in a format that's kindle friendly in a format that's ebook friendly um because I struggle with kindles and I struggle with ebooks so when I was making this book quite often I was you know putting pages I physically putting pages together physically arranging it physically writing it, physically, you know, hand drawing the pictures right. and then yeah, having them send in. So to me, creating this book was a very physical thing. And yeah, I yeah. think, yeah, yeah although it is a shame for people that struggle with physical text, it, it's my book and I'm the writer and, and I struggle with, with screens. No, no, so of course. It, it, it is the format that it's in and it reflects the illness that I have. And I think it would also be hugely confusing on Kindle and um, very difficult. On Kindle, but I'm open to suggestions as to how it might work. If anyone who, you know, can spend time moving around screens has any suggestions, I'm, I'm wildly open to them. Yeah, but, I don't, I, I couldn't work it. I, I think I'd have struggled with the answer that way, but I get you completely with it. I think it definitely yeah. is a book that has to be read on paperback. Or this is probably a trade paperback, actually, but that was excellent anyway. Now, the question I want to get onto is obviously your use of multimedia in this book. Because there yeah. is sections, for example, where like you've got bits and pieces like use of the notebook, where you, but yeah. most of these are like on Evie's side, where you've got like, and I don't want to give too much away, obviously, like you wrote like task one, then there's a lot of scribbles underneath the bottom of it. I thought yeah. this is hugely resentful. And also there's sections in the book when she does it again, and other bits and pieces come up in it. 
and it reflects because it's used in both sides of both narrative it adds a lot to the actual mental state they're both going in now yeah. was that tell us about that what made you want to do this sort of multimedia textual approach in the book as well yeah the the, the um multimedia aspect of the book is hugely important and it, it comes from that struggle that I've had to actually express what's going on in my own in my own mind especially you know when I have been deeply deeply ill and just not able to really tell people what it is that it feels like and as part of my creative writing course you know we, we play around with different forms and different mediums and talking about different voices and I was really struggling to start this I, I wanted to you know write about these experiences that I was struggling to start so on a piece of paper I wrote the word face and then I used the word face to draw mm. a face and I was doing that because you know after a seizure you really and I've spoken to other people who've had seizures and have had bouts of unconsciousness you almost struggle to reconnect your language so I would be able to look at my face and know that it's a face and that there's mm. a word which is spelt face but the connection between those two things are lost. And an example I use a lot is that I saw my sister and I knew she was my sister and I knew the word sister, but the connection between the two just wouldn't fire up that that was my sister. And then, you know, the emotional connections that come with that being my sister. And I looked at that face and one of my writing colleagues at the time said, oh, you know, that's a, that's a really strange image. And I drew another one just after that, which was a face which had other things that were building up the hair, like different words that were building up the hair. Mm. And what I realised was that you don't have to write a sentence to express what you're feeling. So when Evie starts notebooking, she's starting off with a blank page. Her mind is utterly blank. She's utterly scrambled. She has no idea where she is. She has no control over her language. She has no advocacy at all until it's revealed that she has this notebook and you know the narrator on the form is telling it use the notebook use the notebook and he's setting these tasks and as she says he starts scribbling on them she doesn't want to do it but then you know she finally does start and it we can see her filling those blank pages by starting off with you know these these faces that are just made up of words and are made up of starting to reconstruct the language it turns into a sentence a sentence turns into a paragraph, a paragraph turns into a memory. And through that, she's able to start taking over. And you notice that the notebook entries, you know, that started off as this blank page and then these word pictures and these sentences, they start to actually become the more dominant narrative until right at, as she goes towards the end, she's becoming the, the more dominant writer. And to me, that was my way of saying that this is what it's like. You start off feeling like you have absolutely no control over your language, over your linguistic connections, you know, through the through the different bits of your mind, like from your memory to, to the emotive memory that goes with it. But it does rebuild and it does come back. And for some people, it comes back through notebooking. It's why they suggest it. For me, it came back through through writing, you know, you know, writing fiction, writing novels, writing poetry. So again, it was my way of expressing the reality of, of mental illness and of mental difference and of the struggle with language and with awareness and with self-advocacy that that can give because at the beginning it is like being with Evie in that blank place which is just it has no direction it has no language in it it has nothing in it it's, it's just an empty page and and that's where it started it started from that picture 
Brilliant. Yeah, you can see that. If people read the book. You got. I love the fact that you just answered the next question actually, so I can do it as a comment. <laughs> I can do it as a comment rather than a question. No, you got the feeling that the book went along. There was a dominant narrative starting to come into the book, and it was really yeah. interesting. The bit where some of these there was a bits in where the multimedia aspects went onto both pages, and I could I tell me if I got this right very briefly. Obviously, was that where the you felt like the two people were starting to reconnect them? Was that the point? Absolutely, absolutely. So. When you actually look at the layout of the book, you'll see there's in between the left hand side and the right hand pages, there's a really strong, definite, bold line at the beginning, a sort of um, black line going right down the page and then medical note. And the two narratives are sort of right up against the left and right hand margins of the page. They're hugely distant from each other. They're physically distant. They're mentally different. And then the characters start journeying. And the moments where they start coming together or start being in places where they're reaching out the narratives do come closer together so as you say in some places like when Evie's trying to get out of the gate of the farm and the gate of the farm you know the text of it moves right up against that line and it's almost pushing it because she's really trying to push her way out and past and there's, there's other times such as like when Stevie goes into Evie's flat and she starts looking through her things and she's sleeping in her bed and you know just just really sort of feeling Evie there as a presence and again she's starting to get physically closer on the page so it is a very physical book and the layout itself is part of the story so you can look at it as you flick through it even without reading it you can see not only Evie's voice becoming stronger as it actually becomes a narrative and stops being pictures you can see these two people or you know three people if you include Dave starting off as two very disjointed separate people and you can actually trace their journey through the layout of the book. Yeah, you can see it straight away, and that's what I think the journey is. It's a book. They always say with the narrative, and this is the last bit I want to ask you about the book here for the opinion of this. They always say with a book, it's usually meant to be like A to B to C. Your case is where it's A, 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 then like they finally they come together like a triangle to the top point, really. It's, it's, it's really, really different. And respect Thank to you, Catherine, you. for trying out a book that's really interesting and quite difficult in places which is good in my mind I like I like difficult right a book well to do. I, I did I wanted it to be difficult because the subject's difficult I don't think you can write an easy book on mental health and I don't think you can write an easy book on completely losing your mind to, to illness and I don't think you can write an easy book on grief grief is a, a huge thing it's a life-changing thing and it utterly utterly floors you and yeah, even though everyone grieves everyone's grief is difficult and I, I wanted a book that reflected the difficulty of the situation of the characters yeah you can see it straight away good luck with it definitely so it's been tremendous I've really enjoyed <laughs> reading it now what do you have planned next for your creativity then do you have any of obviously I'm yeah. guessing if you're going to write another book it's going to be nothing like um, the two you've done so far <laughs> it is so I've got um a young adult book mm. for sort of 10 to 12 year olds it's of a similar theme it's about grief it's about the loss of a parent it's set in Oxford which is where I spent uh, a lot of my life um and it's about a young girl called Alice Island whose father works at the National History Museum her mum's in hospital and she's utterly obsessed with natural history obviously with the sort mm. of background that she comes from she's obsessed with sort of extinct and endangered animals that she has in this, this book of hers and one of those animals is the dodo and of course the natural history museum in oxford has a um, stuffed dodo in it it's not a real one but it is there um, but 
the story starts off with a, a strange box being delivered at the National History Museum. And in it is actually the stuffed remains of the last real daughter on earth. And she sees her dad sort of, her dad stuffs animals. That's his job as a taxidermist. And she sees him stuff it and she sees it there and it's empty and it's not real. And she puts a paper heart inside it and it comes alive. And basically it starts bringing back all the, all the extinct animals of the world. And she wants to use it obviously to save her mum. So it's all about her journey of her trying to get this dodo from the museum to the hospital and all the carnage that creates as all these animals wake up and start stampeding around. It's pretty much finished. I'm just trying to find a home for it. So hopefully I'll find that soon. Let me know when you do, because I'd love to have you on again here. I want, <laughs> I want to ask you lots of probing questions about that, then, in comparison to what's been, been done here. So. <laughs> now, obviously, Catherine, to wrap up part one, obviously, I want to give you a chance to do a bit of reading for it in the second half. Where can people get hold of the book, first of all? So the book is available um, from online retailers. So you can try Amazon, Waterstones, Barnes and Noble. It's Catherine spelt in a highly obscure way. So I'm Catherine <laughs> K. I know, why did my parents do this? But K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And it's Lund like the city, L-U-N-D. So Catherine Lund. If you type that and the things are left sleeping into Amazon, into Waterstones, into Barnes and Noble, it will come up for you. You can get it through my publishers, which is atmospherepress.com. They're based in Texas. Um, or request it at your local bookstore. And if they use the same distributors as those, you'll absolutely be able to get it. And I have a website, which is www.catherinewundtheauthor.co.uk. And that has all the links and directions for you as well. Brilliant. That's, that's, that's answered my last question. So, right, well, let you take a pause breath now, Catherine. So we've been chatting for a bit here as well. So I want to give you a chance to do a bit of readings in the second half. So hang around, everybody, because I'm looking forward to seeing what, how Catherine approaches this, definitely. So, <laughs> well, I, I'm you. looking forward to see how I approach it as well. <laughs> 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 Tremendous. OK, we will see you all in a few minutes, guys. OK, thank you again, Catherine. Spoken, mate. Hi, guys. Yes, and the end the wonderful Catherine Lund. Now, this is where I can shut up now and retreat to a reading from this book, and I'm looking forward to this. Over to you, Catherine. Thank you very much. Well, as we've talked about, the book has a rather unique layout. So just to help you imagine where we are in the story now, I'm looking at a page, it's the left-hand side page, it's Evie's story, and it's a medical health card, a medical health paperwork, from her medical file. And it says, in the box below, write your task for the week. Set yourself what you would like to achieve and what you think you can achieve. This week, I would like to. And then Evie has written, stop thinking that if I keep singing that tune, my memories won't disappear. This week, I will work towards this by, I will not sing it. I will not panic if I don't remember. I will think of the memory, not the pattern. This week, I've achieved this, yes or no? No, but the pattern was sunlight on long blonde hair. The pattern is a car traveling along the road. Summer, heat, you can smell heat. It's car fabric, cooked soil, dry grass, baked tarmac, cotton tops, skin salt, hung air, petrol, burning metal on the door frame. Heated plastic on the dash, heated everything, glass, summer in a car. This is how to remember it. This is how you get there. You remember it this way to a radio song. It sounds like road with the windows open, 
Sounds like Stevie driving in the sun. Tastes like fruit, hot, sticky, running up and down the throat. Tastes like a day run on sun juice, a car run on songs. Come on, Evie, live a little. Are you sure we should be here, Stevie? Fucking hell, we were here just the other night, remember? The raves, the glow sticks, the whistles. It's an abandoned farm. It's the middle of fucking nowhere. There's nobody here. Stevie yelling out the car door, breaking the silence of the sun, the baking track, the solid time. Here, it were round here. Stevie, this place is trashed. I really don't think there'll be any fruit here. There's fruit if I say so. Will you come on? Stevie, the old garden, an old kitchen table dragged beneath the tree, too heavy to move, outside for generations, beyond rotting in rain, beyond bleaching by sun, left behind for Stevie to rock on, swaying with it slightly like a sailor out at sea. Stevie's shadow, the light between, some long forever of the stretched out still and sky. There, what did I fucking tell you? Stevie, handing down peaches, bruised, delicious, a ripe heart in a rough and funny fur, small, misshaped, oddly dark. Stevie sat on that table in its sea, their mouth flung peach dawned in the lengthening grass. The sun going down slowly, bitten away by a distant horizon, the nearer outlines of porter cabins, JCBs, orange pegs. Next time we drive past, this place won't be here, just some motorway. Stevie, her long arms, her sweet smell. Here now, isn't it? Leave off E, you'll bring me down. Stevie, the vanished sun, the tree above the figure, the smell of cooler evenings at the end of the day. Stevie, summer and the sea swamp tree. The pattern of the both of us. Don't let go. Excellent stuff. Oh, wow. I felt privileged listening to that then, Catherine. That was really, really powerful. And it was like, you, you. you were telling me off mic before, like you've not actually done a lot of readings for this. And I've really, really engaged in that then. So, no, excellent Thank stuff. You. I think part of it is that, like a lot of people, I'm, I'm really conscious of my voice and read aloud. We don't read aloud lot as a normal part of things. So it, it does take some getting useful to hear the voices that have just been in my head actually you know, speaking outside of my head is a, it's a very strange experience. I'm sure most authors go through it. Oh, well, I tell you, I'm a poet really by nature. I have got a novel on the way. Well, fact two actually, but that's still for another day. But you're right with it. It's when you're doing poetry, I tend to get used to reading them out. And so in my case, I'm more used to get around to at least my first novel. Yeah, I can get you completely with that. It's going to be <laughs> an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Catherine, listen, thank you today. It's been a pleasure. Really, I've been looking thank forward you. to this one. I always look, people wonder, I always look forward to booking sessions in Spoken Label. Like, and particularly in Catherine's case, we spoke originally a couple of months ago, didn't we, really? We did, yeah. Yeah, and that's sometimes it makes it more fun because, like, it's, I hold them back for a couple of months sometimes. When you get around to it, then you're thinking you build up the anticipation, and that's been pleasure today. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really great to have you on, and thank you also, you know, for, for a really honest review of the book because I think it is important that things like the layout get flagged up, that things 
that then you know I can actually say I'm not just trying to be pretentious that, that, that it, everything in that book it, it is a conscious choice it's a decision and it's there for a reason so you know hopefully when people look at the book and they flick through it you know they'll be open to engaging in it because it's a book that's been made as honestly as I can make it and it has so much of myself in it um and I just I, I want people I want people to be able to engage with it I've not tried to be obscure I've just tried to be honest and find the the most realistic way that I can to to put what I wanted to say onto paper yeah feels like well for that reason is I recommend this book but it's okay, hopefully get you on again when the next book comes out whenever that is <laughs> I, I hope so as well Maybe a different a different book, and obviously I won't say a different person, but we'll see. Hopefully, but we probably will see a different side <laughs> to yourself. But anyway, guys, girls, that that is for the future, and then hopefully soon. Right. Anyway, as Don Callis at Impact Wrestling says, stay safe and stay over. And we will see you all hopefully soon. Bye. Spoken, mate.